Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, November 17th, 2021, and I'm your host, Marty Bennett. And over the next half hour, we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last few days. It's International Education Week in the United States, and we're going to be celebrating uh, that as we always do with a roundup of some of those news stories. We won't cover them more in depth this week. Um, we'll save that for the newsletter that will come out on Monday. But uh, just a quick heads up, we will be taking a break uh, from the roundup next Wednesday, a day before Thanksgiving on the 24th. But we'll return to you on Wednesday, November, uh, December 1st for our next roundup after this week. So uh, let's get right to it. Uh, the beginning of Open of International Education Week is always greeted with uh, the Open Doors release. Uh, and this is a, always a special day in international education because it's the coming together of both, uh, typically, and it had been in the past, coming together of both in-person uh, advocates uh, of international education in the D.C. area for, uh, and with members of uh, both the international ed space as well as uh, the U.S. government uh, in education and typically State Department being involved in uh, releases of the of the data that's compiled by IIE in conjunction with uh, U.S. higher education institutions that enroll international students at the post-secondary level. So uh, this uh, release, uh, like the last couple, has was done virtually uh, due to COVID and was uh, done from D.C. and Alan Goodman and his team. Uh, were able to uh, share some of the data from Open Doors, which is, as we all know, who've been in international education for more than a minute, it's a look at the previous year's data, which, given what we all experienced in 2020, uh, 2019-2020, uh, was a complete train wreck. And that's the data that was presented last week, or this week on Monday. And it showed a 15% decline in the total number of international students and the first time our total number of international students was below 1 million since 2014-15 uh, and a, a total that actually of 914,000 international students uh, has, uh, has, we haven't seen that low a number since 2013-14. Uh, so it's uh, been some time, uh, seven years since we were below a million and uh, eight years since we were, uh, had anything lower than uh, the number that we have had have had this past year. But we knew it was a train wreck going in. Uh, we knew international students were not able to come uh, or return even to campus. What, what is new, this, uh, this data, uh, and they did make this a point in last year's report and this year's report as well, is that it tracked international students who were physically in the United States at their university campuses studying it tracked uh, university, uh, students that were studying remotely but within the United States, and those also tracked uh, students who were studying remotely from their home countries. So all three of those uh, categories came into play in regards to the data that's presented here because, frankly, those students that were studying remotely back in their home country made up a significant chunk of the international students uh, that um, had gone home over the summer perhaps uh, or when the pandemic first struck and have not been able to return and or decided to yeah and this past year's data from 2019-20 uh, that was uh, those students were not able to get back into the country until perhaps this fall 
So we'll see what that means. And the data that we knew was going to be coming is what was not uh, certainly uh, any any positive news uh, that we could have hoped for uh, from the open doors data. Now, one thing I do, I've always not. I, it's always good to take a look back and see, get a very broad perspective on a wide variety of factors. Some of the things that, uh, some of the data points that came out of this, uh, out of this survey um, from Open Doors, uh, they revealed some of the current uh, international student data. Uh, revealed that 54% of all international students are currently STEM fields. Uh, so how much, how important that is uh, in terms of the data and recruitment strategies. Uh, it talked about some of the. Um, um, the percentage uh, of new international students uh, or the new international student enrollments from last year were not as uh, significant as, as, as we had hoped. Uh, but we knew that those numbers were going to be down. Uh, we, the IIE snapshot from last year was predicting 43% down. They were actually 48% or 46% down, so very close in numbers. So very good predictive data, I think, for next year's Open Doors data. Because we're looking at uh, Open Doors as it is, shared that, and, and you can just look at the top 20 students on the Fast Facts report, and I always encourage you to download that Fast Facts from Open Doors and have that hanging up somewhere in your office. But uh, looking at the data from uh, uh, last year, uh, all of the top 25 destination countries uh, to the United States reported decreases. Uh, no, no one was in positive territory last year. That's just a simple fact. And uh, when when you have that significant a drop off in your new and uh, your in, enrolled students or international students' ability to enroll, uh, you certainly see that uh, very clearly. But one thing that does give me hope, and I always like to focus on the positives here, is looking forward. Uh, I'm a historian, so I always appreciate understanding where we've come from, and we've never had drop offs like this. These were historic last year uh, in terms of the volume and the magnitude of the percentage of students that we lost uh, or that we did not have in the United States last year. So um, the bulk of that are new internationals that couldn't enroll in fall 2020 uh, and maybe had to start online uh, but uh, weren't, haven't yet been able to come in country to establish their status. So what we're going to look at is the positives, and there are positives that came out of the, the um, open, or, open Doors presentation, and they they re, re, are they're coming from that positivity is coming from the bounce back that we did experience in new international enrollments this fall. Uh, we, everyone was expecting it because it was going to be basically two years of students that were able to potentially enroll. Uh, there are still visa issues out there, delays and. Uh, uh, in, uh, ch ch trouble getting appointments, and that's really delayed a lot of the, the backup uh, that uh, consulates in high demand countries have experienced trying to get out them all through uh, into 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 classes for the fall. We may see a, an additional bounce in the spring, but that's not tracked for this the open doors data, obviously. But this fall snapshot survey, and this takes uh, this surveyed. I think they had 800 institutions this fall that were part of this survey and uh, wanting to, uh, to share some of that data with you because I think that's something that's going to give you a little bit more hope uh, because we, when, we see the, when we see the data from the um, fall snapshot survey, that's going to tell us uh, have a, with pretty good reliability what the fall 2022 Open Doors report will look like uh, and it will certainly be a bounce back for sure. 
uh, but we to how how big we don't know yet. Uh, but this fall snapshot from 2021 from IIE uh, showed uh, had 864 higher ed institutions reporting, and they represent I think it was close to uh, let me see I think it was over. 60% or around 60% of the total international students uh, that are enrolled in the United States or attending these 860-odd institutions. So that gives us good predictive data for, for what Open Doors next year will look like. Uh, they have um, uh, a number of, a number of uh, significant data points here. The snapshot shows that overall enrollments or saw a 4% increase. Uh, as opposed to the 15% uh, decrease from Open Doors this fall, uh, for, for that showed last year's data again, 2019-20. Uh, so that's interesting to see, or 2020-21, excuse me. Uh, so that data is going to be um, uh, show is predicting to show a bounce back. So this is 4% overall. What is uh, even more interesting to see, we'll get to this in a minute, is that the new international student enrollments bounced back 68% up increase over last year. Uh, and last year there was a 43% predictive decrease in the, a, a similar snapshot from 2020. 2020. So bounced back over, over and above uh, from 43, up to, 43 down to 68 up percent. Uh, so that that's giving us an ascent uh, from this open doors data. How they how they're confirming it? They're saying they're they're predicting a four percent increase uh, in uh, the open doors data for 21-22 that we're currently in. That institutions will be reporting on in early spring. So there's some great data that came out of the the fall snapshot survey. Uh, one of the things that I want to focus on with you is uh, some of the. Uh, the new, uh, uh, in terms of the numbers, and the reason why we got to that 68% for new international students enrollments up fall, from fall 20 to 20, 2020 to 21, is uh, the, uh, in the survey, 70% of institutions reporting said they either had a slight or substantial increase. And substantial is actually the, the lion's share. 40% of all institutions who were surveyed said they had a substantial increase in new international student enrollments. And that's, that's a, that should be expected because Frankly, when you had very few able to get visas in time to come last fall compared to uh, what uh, students were able to get through this year, you should have seen a substantial increase. Um, but 70% overall saw, saw a slight to a substantial increase, so that's great. And only 8% saw a substantial decrease, 12% uh, slight decrease. So 10% saying they, saw, they stayed the same. But one of the things that I think is particularly useful uh, in terms of the uh, what the survey result results showed is some of the uh, the support that internet uh, U.S. colleges and universities uh, have uh, expanded in the course of the pandemic. That when we we've talked regularly on the on the roundup here about the need to uh, provide levels of service uh, for your students to meet needs at where they are at that time, and then. As a result of you making these efforts, these are things that you should be turning around and sharing with your prospective students uh, and letting your current students share those with prospective students because these are the things that matter in times of uncertainty, in times of global pandemics, uh, when decisions are 
not as straightforward as they used to be in terms of, uh, well, here's, there's the, here's the institution, here's what it costs, here's what it's ranked, this is what's most important, I can get a visa, I can come. This year, last two years, it's been a very different set of concerns that prospective students and their parents have been grappling with. So how you are responding to those legitimate concerns that the, your prospective student parents and their audiences and sons and daughters have uh, related to your institution and how you're telling those stories matters. And that the, the simple fact that you are telling those stories is something you should be focusing on at this point. So the fall 2020 num 20 numbers show that um, next fall should be a positive one, uh, probably up 4%, which is overall, but uh, certainly up 68% this fall in new international enrollments, which is very positive. Now, uh, related to these issues, that uh, translates nicely into our second question of the day, what are you focusing on in your communication with prospects, is uh, institutions were surveyed and 75% were uh, spending more time on mental health support and services for international students, 74% uh, were, uh, uh, were saying that electronic signatures on documentation for student status visa questions, that, that was just approved this past, uh, past month, uh, academic support, uh, for international students uh, in their online classes was at 63%. Uh, support for international students on health, safety, and uh, and other other well and well-being issues that was at 64%. So these are the concerns that uh, institutions were focusing on in the past year, perhaps more than they ordinarily would have. And so I think this is something that are moments that if you've done it well and you have current students that can share their experiences going through this very turbulent year, almost two years of activity, sharing that with your prospective students, having the students do it, having you do it, having that repeated message that you care for your students and demonstrating that in real concrete ways and having your, your best advocates, your current students, the ones who've been living it for the last 20 months, share why your institution is doing that well. So that is an absolute must uh, that I uh, think institutions should be communicating to their prospective students, especially during the pandemic. Um, one thing I found, and when we look to um, look to some of the data about uh, about what um, where where students are, or country or universities are prioritizing uh, their recruitment efforts, uh, you see um, there were they they did a survey uh, in the. Um, fall snapshot of what countries institutions are prior, prioritizing. You see India, China at the top of the list, India above China, so perhaps a shift in focus away from China uh, to India. Uh, you see third on that list, international students enrolling in U.S. high schools, and fantastic, thank goodness, low-hanging fruit, it's right there. Uh, Vietnam is fourth on the list at 43%. Uh, 36% of uh, U.S. institutions were uh, re actively recruiting international students at U.S. community colleges. So again, low-hanging fruit right there. Uh, Brazil, South Korea, Japan, Mexico, and Nigeria were the other countries that rounded out the top 10. Uh, so certainly some interesting data there in terms of what uh, countries are high up on the radar of institutions to recruit in. Uh, also, how they're doing that is important and what they're focusing on in communicating. 64% uh, most significant piece of, uh, re of, the, of resources that universities have been leveraging to recruit international students has been current international students. So this is uh, something that must be a part of your communication strategy. 
doing online recruitment events has been a given for the last year and continues on into this year, um, where 56% of you are doing that, uh, making online recruitment efforts, events a part of your, uh, your strategy. 55% right after uh, online recruitment are relying on social media outreach, and that's increasingly becoming a part of what, why you do what you do or how you do what you do internationally to keep in touch with your students. 51% uh, of you are expanding international partnerships. That's great because uh, those are the opportunities that uh, can build on your current institutional connections uh, to develop those program links, uh, to develop uh, pipelines of students uh, that can be fairly reliable over the years. 48% are equally using Agents and Education USA in your recruitment efforts. So that's encouraging to see a very broad mix of uh, uh, strategies, and I think that's a healthy mix uh, of how international uh, students can and should be recruited through a variety of means, because not every student gets their information the same way, uh, but there are messages that you can communicate effectively across all those media. Uh, whether it's uh, through your current students uh, in online chats or video messages or emails that you send out, through the events that you do, having uh, opportunities for current students to connect with prospective students, through social media campaigns that you do, videos, uh, testimonials, that uh, take over events on Instagram by your international students sharing what, they're, what they've learned uh, during the pandemic uh, at your institution. All of these things are absolutely vital and must be leveraged if you're going to be truly successful on multi-levels, multi-platforms, and on multiple issues that are relevant for the students that are, are, are looking to you and to your current students for answers about how you will treat them as uh, if and when they decide to come to your institution. So some great data in the snapshot survey. Certainly I find much more value in that. Uh, predict for predictive data for the future and in terms of where the trends are, that type of thing. So you, you see a lot of positives coming out there in terms of the communicative, communicative value of the data and what uh, should be priorities for your institution. And I want to make this point clearly. Uh, when I've, I've worked with a number of institutions recently in the last couple, three years, that when uh, we talk, get talking about communication plans, um, it seems to be that most institutions have a very process-focused plan for um, how they communicate with institution with prospective students. You'll get your initial um, uh, if they do name buys, they'll send initial inquiries, uh, initial messages out uh, saying encourage them to consider their institution. For the inquiries that are in their system, they'll encourage them to apply. For the applicants, they'll encourage them to complete. For the completed, they'll uh, encourage them to. Uh, to deposit. Uh, for the deposit, they'll be focusing on enrollment issues. Very few actively bake in to their communication plans the kinds of questions that we're talking about here, the issues that prospective students want to hear about about your institution. You may say you, um, have, you value uh, diversity at your institution. Uh, you may say you have uh, you, you have strong support services for international students. You may say uh, you have uh, top programs from across the, across the campus uh, that international students can, uh, can discuss. You may say that there are, uh, quality, uh, there's quality instruction uh, at the top levels uh, that you get access to research and all that. Where are the, where's the evidence of that in your comm plan? 
Uh, you may have these top line values for your institution of accessibility, of diversity, of, uh, of financial affordability, other things like that. Those are top level things, but if they're, they're only ever getting that message once at the beginning of the process, but what happens if they've, uh, if they've decided to apply? Are they never hearing the messages about um, uh, how accessible your faculty are, how uh, cared for international students are on campus, uh, how uh, alumni, our international alumni are str particularly strong in, uh, uh, in helping future students get, get connected to the institution. Uh, are you capturing those, message, the, those core messages that are things that prospective students want to hear about? Uh, things like we've just talked about during a pandemic. How did your campus respond? Are you addressing that at all in your communication to future students? Because if you're not, that's a missed opportunity. Do you think they, prospective students think everything's rosy and it's going to be normal for them if they come to your campus next fall? Is it, is it, is it something that they should just expect? Uh, aren't they, are they, do you think they're not the least bit curious as to how things have been going uh, with your current students? Uh, they want to know. They want to hear from them. They want to see what it's going to be like for them, even at the worst of times during the middle of a global pandemic. They want to see how you responded as an institution. And those are some great stories if you can capture them and communicate them back to your future students. It requires some effort. Goodness knows, you, you can't, the process emails that come, every, everybody has to have those. But if you don't have anything else that's selling your institution, selling your country, selling uh, the advantages of why students should come to your institution uh, throughout the process, you're missing out and oh, you're just going through the motions, frankly, with these process emails. That focusing on being responsive to things that students want to know about. How do you get that information? You pay attention to things here like the Roundup where we cover a lot of these student prospective student surveys, what they're after. Uh, you can get very granular with some of these folks uh, like IDP, uh, IDP Connect. They have uh, their IQ uh, on-demand tracker where you can get basically real-time data from students in certain markets on what some of the most important issues are for them. That's something that you should be leveraging as you communicate to your future students. So there's the, the, the student surveys are out there. You're going to hear uh, every once in a while through these, uh, like this yearly uh, fall snapshot survey, you're going to see how other institutions have responded and what issues they are, uh, they are have focused more on. I wonder, though, for that list of uh, topics and how institutions are focusing on those, that they've actually done that on their campus this past year, I wonder how many of them are actually turning that around and communicating that to future students uh, and laying out all the levels of support your institution has provided uh, and enhanced support that your institution has provided during some of the most traumatic months in higher education that our country's ever experienced outside of wartime. And so there's some things going on here that are very, uh, very real uh, that have impacts, uh, global events having impacts on how we should operate. Um, there are very real prohibitions on students coming in last year because they couldn't get visas in time. No consulates were open. This year, more students were able to get visas. Uh, we've seen numbers in China and India that the number of visas issued uh, is over, is this past summer is above pre-pandemic levels. So those are very positive signs for where we're getting back to. Uh, the challenge is uh, making that a global thing and being able to uh, 
capitalize on those with future students uh, in terms of how your office handles their concerns, both spoken and unspoken. Because typically a parent, a student, if they have a question that's hot on their mind, they're going to want to, they're going to be up front and ask you about scholarships, about financial aid, about getting my son or daughter to campus, those kind of process questions. But when you can preemptively answer questions that maybe they don't feel comfortable asking about, well, my son or daughter uh, really struggled during online learning the past year from their school. Uh, how is the transition going to be to a hybrid model at your institution? Uh, so that's something that's a very real ch challenge that they maybe don't know how to articulate well, but they want to know that you're sensitive enough to that as an institution to respond and act uh, like you and show that you care uh, in the way you conduct your operations. So I think there's a lot of value here with this, um, with taking your experiences in the past 20 months of the pandemic, showing where your where the positive uh, stories are that you can tell on how your current students experience that, and then sharing that with your future students because they want to know that they want to know that hey, it, it was a rough time for everybody, but hey, you as a campus uh, stood up, uh, stepped up and did what needed to be done to make sure students uh, felt comfortable, felt needed, felt uh, a part of a community when everybody was feeling isolated. So that's valuable for you to share that story. Even though you might think it's just business as usual, it's, it's value that, um, that you want to pay attention to. And I'm sharing an article from uh, ICIF Monitor uh, that uh, is actually a review of QS's uh, latest international student survey that shows that uh, prospective students are right now, because of the pandemic, the economic impact the pandemic has had around the world, that prospective students are most worried about money issues and the ability to receive medical care abroad. And they are uh, wonder wondering about mental health, uh, that maybe they wouldn't feel comfortable asking for supports uh, that are specific to m mental health. Uh, that they're looking for ways to alleviate their, their worries um, and increase their enjoyment of study abroad. So again, that's speaking specifically to what your future students want to know what it's like. They're concerned. They're legitimately concerned about what it's going to be like. Their, their families may have lost their jobs. Uh, parents may have lost jobs. Uh, fortunes may have been lost. Uh, they might not be able to uh, look at the mo uh, uh, they might not be able to qualify for your institution uh, in terms of uh, f paying for it. Uh, so or do you have aid available, uh, scholarships or otherwise? So this is data that you need to be using and keeping your finger on the pulse. So please subscribe to the Roundup. Get the podcast at least so you can at least hear what we're talking about each week. Uh, but get these stories through our newsletter that we send out on Mondays, every uh, Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern. S subscribe to that on our website, smieconsulting.org slash subscribe. I'm dropping the link to this week's edition uh, that has uh, some of the stories we're covering. We don't have the IIE data. That'll come in next week's newsletter. Uh, but that's certainly something that you should be using. Uh, and the ISIF Monitor story about the QS International Student Survey report, that's valuable data you should have. So another piece in that puzzle on communication relates to our third question, and we covered a little bit as an example of what you can be highlighting, uh, but uh, that is, does your campus make international alumni a priority? And I've been on a total of one campus out of five where I've worked, where they've actually had an international alumni or advancement person designated 
to work exclusively with those uh, overseas audiences, uh, graduates of your school that now live abroad. And I've been on campuses where they don't even bother to track them. I've been on campuses where uh, that the, the Advancement Alumni Office hoards that data and won't share uh, because they don't want it to be used for things other than fundraising. Uh, so there's, there's territorial battles that go on on campus. I get that. It's, a lot of it's politics. Uh, but the reality is you can do it right and you can have a balance between the two and you can and should be leveraging your international alumni uh, in many parts of your university life, but especially in recruitment. One institution that does it right is, and uh, there's an article I'll be sharing about uh, University of uh, SUNY well, Buffalo, University of Buffalo, and they have had since 2013, I think this is higher date, I just want to make sure, uh, 2013, yep, he was hired as uh, a gentleman named uh, Wei Lun Leong, uh, from, originally from Malaysia, uh, graduated from University of Buffalo uh, and in 2002, I think it was, went on to uh, work for a number of different institutions in China uh, and then uh, came back to uh, the U.S. Uh, he's been at Buffalo since 2013 that they have, he is hired as a director of international alumni engagement. And so uh, he had, they have a um, 26,000 uh, international alumni on record and have uh, what they, what he knows is that they have f some famous alumni in there. Uh, the current secretary and of the Department of Science and Technology in India, the Minister of Finance and Human Resource Management of the state of Tamil Nadu in India, co-founder of Baidu in China, that's uh, Google in China, uh, you, uh, and the former Minister of Education in China. So they have 11 alumni chapters around the world uh, that uh, he, it's his job to keep them all connected uh, with what's going on on campus, does fundraising, uh, uh, philanthropic gifts, that type of thing, which you would expect uh, from, uh, would expect from an institution that has someone working in advancement or alumni uh, there's always fundraising involved there. That's a kind of most uh, usually a different concept for international students, but it's certainly one that is part of his portfolio. And he says he sees himself as a bridge builder, uh, where that they're asking alumni for help, but we're helping them as well uh, in terms of uh, expanding their job networks, in terms of uh, keeping them in touch with what's going on on campus. Uh, but he also has a, a part of his job is helping engage with alumni in the recruitment uh, of future students. And that's a piece that I've been uh, preaching for years should be a part of your puzzle, that you should have alumni stories, international alumni stories that you're sharing through social media, through videos, through communication plans, uh, that uh, they can be a part of your well, how you recruit future students by showing the future students the success of what your what your students have been able to do with your degree. So uh, he one of the, the great lines I love about this, this is a newer phenomenon and the place I worked where they had a designated international advancement or alumni person was uh, he'd been in the job a couple years when I got there in 2004. So uh, he that was uh, at Ball State in Indiana and uh, we worked with him closely in putting together recruitment plans, met alumni when I was on trips, recruitment trips, and they helped out fairs and uh, were co connected future students and parents to them. So the very significant roles that they can play. Uh, but he, um, he, he has mentioned that uh, he will get, uh, when he reaches out to alumni for the first time, 
they always ask, what took so long? Because uh, they're eager to be involved and engage with you. And that's something that I think you, you look to a, a model of kind of a, a setup for working with alumni. I think the University of Buffalo has, um, has a really good setup there. So congratulations to them and uh, certainly some great ideas on how alumni can be incorporated into uh, what you do in recruitment. So until next time, again, our next uh, midweek roundup will be Wednesday, December 1st. I uh, wish you all, for my American colleagues, uh, a very uh, happy Thanksgiving, a uh, very peaceful Black Friday, and hopefully uh, you are, all have time to recharge some batteries and get ready for uh, the end of the year push. So until next time, I wish you all the best. Cheers.